0: Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney
1: and author Chuck Chris Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris
0: The new Republican chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee was given all members, has given all members a Bible with the recommendation that they read it through in 2023. Believe it or not, it's true. She said, it's an all-time bestseller. I read it through, read it through for the first time a few years ago. She said, and it changed my life. Her name is Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers from the state of Washington. She said, my encouragement is for everyone to read this book in their lifetime. Well, how many people got one of those Bibles? 52 members of the committee. That's right, 52 members of the committee. But what will they get when they read that Bible? The Bible, what is the Bible about anyway? How would you describe the Bible, my friend? What is the Bible about? Well, if there's anything that it's about, it's about one by the name of Yeshua, or Jesus. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at That person, the third person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, I guess we should say, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oftentimes, as my wife and I are gathered together praying and reading the scriptures in the morning and discussing it, applying it, I will conclude our time by quoting the book of Hebrews, talking about. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What does that mean, looking unto Jesus? Well, it depends on who Jesus is. Is your view of Jesus the same view that the Bible portrays? Or are you looking for, and have you constructed a designer Jesus? Well, here on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about that Jesus with our special guest, Steve Foss, who has written a wonderful book called Looking Under Jesus, 30 Days of Transformation. And indeed, if we're truly looking unto Jesus, it will change your life. Years ago, when we launched this program, one of our listeners said, you just can't listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed. You know why that is? Because we're not here to present information alone. We can get proud about all the information that we know or think we have. No, what God is looking for is transformation. And the missing link is application. So how do we understand and learn about Jesus without it just being a piece, another piece of information in an information world? It's going to require application. It's going to be interesting to see how the Holy Spirit applies That today here on Viewpoint. So I welcome you aboard. I'm Chuck Meyer. It's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and perhaps we can get a little bit of an idea contextualizing this with some of the reports that have just come through today. Here's one. This is a sin. So-called Christian leaders blast laws criminalizing homosexuality. Anglican and Presbyterian leaders, religious leaders, echoed Pope Francis' recent comments about the injustice of the criminalization of homosexuality during an airborne conference. The three church leaders were returning from a trip to South Sudan in an effort to promote peace. Who were they? Well, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, the Presbyterian moderator of the Church of Scotland, and the Pope. What were they doing? They were approving of the practice of homosexuality. Would Jesus? Well, it depends on who you think Jesus is and who he was. Another, a large rally was held at Minnesota's Mall of America, as dozens turned out in support of a man who was assailed by security guards last month for daring to wear a T-shirt. What did the T-shirt say? Jesus Saves. Jesus Saves. We used to see that in signs all along the highways of America and painted on barns. Jesus Saves. We used to sing a song. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus Saves. But apparently it's not a joyful sound today, especially in the Mall of America, because they ordered the man to take his shirt off, and they said it was offensive, so, is Jesus offensive? Is it offensive to say Jesus saves? Well, I guess it depends on your view of Jesus. Then again, Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown wrote a piece in WorldNet Daily today. He asked the question, will all unbelievers love your church service? Well, it depends on the Jesus that you teach and preach. If you preach the Jesus of the Bible, the Bible says, in fact, Jesus himself said, they will not necessarily love you because the world will hate you because it hated me. So how are we to understand who Jesus is? What Jesus would do? What would Jesus say? Where would he go? And who is his bride? Well, we're going to have to somehow uh, wait on our special guest, Steve Floss, to somehow unveil this to us because the word unveiling is the word actually or Apocalypse, which is the book of Revelation. Steve, it's good to have you on the program.
1: Oh, it's great to be with you.
0: People don't realize that the word apocalypse has been, shall we say, uh, co-opted uh, to mean something horrible, something uh, terrifying, uh, such as the earthquake in Turkey, but that's not what the word apocalypse means. In fact, uh, the book of Revelation is called the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: And it is the unveiling, you know, it's it's interesting when, when people think about the book of Revelation, they often think about uh majorly the persecution of the saints. Mm-hmm. But of out of the four hundred verses in Revelation, only twelve speak about the suffering and the persecution of the saints. The book is really the first five letters, the apocalypse, as you put it, apocalypse or the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ.
0: Well, what you didn't know, Steve, is that my most recent book, which came out in August, is called The Unveiling, mm-hmm. or it's called The Apocalypse, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we are. And uh I don't know about you, but I'll tell you one thing. I am convinced that we're on the near edge of the second coming. No man knows the day or the outer, but hour, but I certainly believe we're in the season. What say you?
1: No, I, absolutely. And that's why I believe that the book of Revelation and what is revealed, especially in the first three chapters, mm-hmm. is so applicable to us today. Because when you look at chapter one, even just chapter one alone, there are 30 unique descriptions of Jesus. It is the most concentrated uh, list of descriptions of Jesus at anywhere in Scripture. And I find it very instructive to us to look at this and say, God was about to unveil the most intense season that the world would ever experience, the Great Tribulation and the end-time events. Mm -hmm. In order to prepare a generation for the most intense season the world would ever experience, he started out by saying, let me reveal myself to you.
0: Wow. And that's exactly what the book of Revelation is, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Friends, this book, Looking Unto Jesus, I think is going to be extremely helpful and encouraging to you. And it's on our website, saveus.org, but our guest has made a very special offer, an unusual offer today. We'll let him tell us about it when we get back. This is Viewpoint. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Meyer. As you know, regularly here on Viewpoint, we say that viewpoint determines destiny. And it is absolutely true. There are no neutral viewpoints, including our viewpoint of Jesus. So what is your viewpoint of Jesus? It seems that the viewpoints of Jesus are so radically skewed and becoming more skewed as time goes on. Who is he? Well, if we were to go back to 1993... April 5th, 1993, Time Magazine appeared, cover story, one of the most astounding cover stories in the history of Time Magazine, other than the one that announced God was dead. This was talking about, well, if you look on the front cover, there was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God the generation that had already forgot God. You open the magazine to the major article called The Church Search. Americans were flooding back to church again after Gulf War One because they were terrified, and Time Magazine said the church would never again be the same. Here was Time Magazine's analysis that was almost impossible to get in the churches of America, so it required Time Magazine to speak the truth. Here's what they said. Church would never again be the same because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. Well, since Jesus is God, Americans were looking for a custom-made Jesus. And indeed, we find his description everywhere today, justifying everything that the Bible says that he hates and is an abomination. How in the world can we create such a custom-made Jesus, a designer Jesus? Who is he anyway? Even back in uh, about 10 years ago, one educator said and called Barack Obama her Jesus. I kid you not, that's exactly what she said. Barack Obama is my Jesus. So who is he? Who, how would you describe Jesus? You see, that's exactly the message that God, that Jesus asked his disciples. After he'd been with them for a while, he said, who who do people say that I am? And so they answered, some say this, some say that. And he said, yes, but the the real issue is, who do you say that I am? So, Fred, that is the question before us for the remaining of the program today with our guest Steve Foss. Who do you say that Jesus is? And does what you say agree with what the Bible actually says? Even Jesus' own self-revelation. So, Steve, uh, getting back to your offer, uh, never before in the history—the twenty-eight history, history year history of this program—has anyone made the kind of offer that you made concerning your book. Would you like to tell our listeners what that is?
1: Well, I wanted to make it available uh, specifically for those who listen to the Save America program that if they go to our website, Steve F-O-S-S dot com, and click on the book, it's right there at the front, when they get into the store, if they type in as a discount code, promo code, AMERICA, uh, we're going to give a 20% discount along with free shipping. And they can order as many as they want at that 20% discount. Many people are grabbing this to take their uh, Bible studies, to take their groups through, Uh because it is a 30 days, it's 30 descriptions of Jesus. And it will literally revolutionize most people's concepts and most Americans' concepts of who Jesus is. And I love what you're saying, because nothing transforms the human heart like the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. Not the concept the world gives us. But what does he say about himself?
0: Generally speaking, people uh, will say, well, yeah, I I love Jesus. I I believe in Jesus. In fact, I don't want to read the Old Testament because that's about this uh, ugly, uh, uh, mean God the Father. And uh, uh, I I like Jesus. I like the New Testament. Uh, What do you say in response to that?
1: Jesus said over and over again, That he came to reveal the Father.
0: In fact, he said, I and the Father are one, didn't he? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father. And
1: And five times in his final prayer in John 17, he said, I revealed to them, I manifested them your name, which speaks of his character, his Mm -hmm. nature, his authority, and his kingdom.
0: So there people is, don't like the character of the Father as revealed in the Old Testament. So why would they gravitate to Jesus in the New Testament if He is if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever?
1: Because their image of God the Father in the Old Testament is an incorrect image. Often, maybe maybe God it's
0: the, also because their image of Jesus is incorrect. Well,
1: absolutely, it's a, <laughs> exactly, exactly right. No, I agree with you a hundred percent because they have an image of. It's literally almost comes across as this. They don't. We don't say it this way, but this is the belief: Jesus came to this earth to deliver me from His mean father.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that you would put it that way. Another way I think is gentle Jesus, sweet and mild. He comes to us with a halo and a limp wrist and uh, speaking sweet nothings.
1: One of the fundamental foundations that shifts everything in our minds is even found in Jesus' name. And that everything he does, and this is a really a a, a shocking shift, everything Jesus does, everything God does, is for his name's sake. Mm -hmm. It is not first and foremost for us. It's for his own name's sake.
0: In fact, Jesus himself said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father do. I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father say because my meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me. Then he turned around and said, as the Father has sent me, now even so send I you. What did the Father send Jesus to do? It makes a whole lot of difference as to what we think we're supposed to do, doesn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because he came to reveal the Father and to get us back into alignment with the Father in full agreement and in alignment connected to him.
0: Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, when we look at this realm that everything is done for his namesake. Yes. He does it for his glory and for his namesake. He even says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He says, I save you for my name's sake. He says, I reveal my, I send you my spirit for my name's sake. I restrain judgment for my name's sake. This is about him. The American Western Church wants to make everything about us. But there is only one who is worthy, and he does it for his name's sake. We are the recipients of his grace, his mercy, his love, and his working. But it is done for his name's sake.
0: Well, interestingly, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of of Revelation, uh, says that uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes. Who gave, who God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which was shortly come to pass, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, that is John, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads, they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written, therefore, for the time is at hand. Now, yes. those words, uh, should grab the attention of every professing believer believer and their pastors, it seems to me. The time is at hand. Why is it that those words don't seem to grip us?
1: The focus, the Lord spoke to me uh, several years ago, and he said only a focus on the second coming of Christ and eternity will protect by people's minds from the onslaught of the enemy that's coming. You see, the church has become so focused on placating and even using scriptures and some genuine promises Mm -hmm. to make the people feel better and to focus on the here and the now in
0: this life. So it's about a marketable Jesus.
1: uh, Yes, and how he's going to benefit your life here and now. Jesus' writings and these descriptions of Jesus, they all point to the eternal purpose of God, Mm -hmm. the eternal plan. He is working an eternal plan. Jesus is focused on the end of the age. Now, what he does in our lives now is all for an eternal purpose, an eternal plan. You know, a favorite scripture that people have where it says, the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, mm. thoughts of good and not of evil, of a future and a hope. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting we apply that to the future in my few years here on the earth. Yes. And the hope I have for a comfortable life. God was speaking about the eternal hope.
0: Well, that's right. He, and that's why Christ. the apostle John said <laughs> that he who has this hope in him will yes. purify himself, even as Christ is pure.
1: Absolutely. The what hope? The hope of the future. Yeah. When Christ comes back, when the kingdom of heaven is fully established, when he rules and reigns, when wickedness is finally done away with, This future kingdom, Jesus' message started with this. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a future kingdom that's coming.
0: Wait a minute, you just just used one of the most hated words in the Bible. (laughs) Repent, it's the R word. And yet, that's the message that John the Baptist brought to introduce Jesus. Then uh, Jesus picked up the mantle and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he passed the baton to his disciples, and their message was, repent and believe the gospel. They passed the baton to Paul, uh, apostle to the Gentiles, and he preached the message of repentance. John, in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, seven times to the churches of Asia says, repent, 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 repent. Why is that word seem so negative when it's all about Jesus?
1: Because, we want to, well, one, we don't even understand what the essence of sin is and what repentance is. Let me do this real briefly. The essence of sin is the rejection of God's legal right of authority over our lives. Sin that's is true. an authority issue. Adam and Eve rejected God's authority. You can't do a sinful action until you first reject God's right to tell you how to act.
0: And that's why the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Oh, if you don't absolutely. fear the Lord, you're not going to obey him. And so the word obey now has become the most hated word in the church, admitted by pastor after pastor after pastor on this program.
1: And because, uh, so repent means to change your mind about what? About rejecting God's right of authority. True repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. True repentance is, "I I choose to submit to your rightful authority. I choose to obey what you say. He says, if you stop rejecting my authority and you come into agreement with my authority, you surrender to my authority, you know, that's where salvation is. He said, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord, the word Lord means one that has right of authority over another. Mm. People out there foolishly say and preach, well, first you accept Jesus as your Savior, and then he becomes your Lord. He cannot be your Savior if he is not your Lord.
0: I agree. Would you say that again, lest it should come only from my mouth?
1: Jesus cannot be your Savior unless he is your Lord, unless you have given to him the right of authority over your life.
0: Yet there are whole denominational groups, theological groups in our country, that have spread this message around the world Uh, mocking what they call lordship salvation they say that's a gospel of works how do you respond
1: it is the foundation everything in the kingdom of heaven is about authority it's why god uses authority versions everywhere faith is an authority issue And how we know that is, and we'll do this quickly, but in Matthew chapter Mm 5, the only place, I'm sorry, chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, the only place in Scripture where Jesus ever marveled over anyone's fate was a Roman centurion. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) And what did the Roman centurion say? You know, I'm not worthy that you should come under my house, but house, all you have to do is speak the word, for I, too, am a man under authority. Authority.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And his whole discussion was, I understand how authority works. And Jesus turned to the Israelites, to the Jews, and said, I have not seen such great faith, no, not in Israel. This man who understands authority understands faith. And you're only saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace through understanding how to rightly connect to
0: God's authority. And submit to it. Isn't it interesting that uh, James talks about uh, resisting the devil? People love to quote that passage, but he says, Submit to God, then resist the devil. What we want to do is resist the devil and pretend to submit to God. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is on the line, friends, and our understanding of Jesus may be on the line as well. We'll be right back with our guest, Steve Foss, today. His book, Looking Unto Jesus, He'll give you another opportunity to get it in a moment.
2: There is so much more about Chuck Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
0: Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today, we're talking about the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ as disclosed in the book of Revelation, which is called the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the unveiling. So, our guest today, Steve Foss, with his book, Looking Unto Jesus, taken right from Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Steve, uh, make your offer again to our, our listeners.
1: Well, as a special uh, offer to your li- faithful listeners. If they go to steveboss.com, that's stevefoss.com, and click on the book. You'll see it right there on the front page. Enter discount code AMERICA, and they get 20% off, and they can use that on as many books as they'd like uh, to use for Bible studies or to share with themselves. And I encourage them, take the 30-day challenge. Mm-hmm. Take 30 days, every morning get up, we read one of these descriptions of Jesus. Start your day off by focusing on Jesus, and watch what's going to begin to transpire in your life.
0: The Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of American uh, redefinition and imagination, not the designer Jesus of American Christianity, but the Jesus of the Bible. That's the only Jesus that can who can save you from your sin, and uh, he is coming again to judge the world in and for its sin. How is it, Steve, that Jesus can come the first time to save us from our sin and not judge the world, and then when he comes again, he's coming not to save us, but to judge us? Help us with that.
1: Well, what's amazing is both are an act of love.
0: <laughs> I'd
1: True. love to describe it this way. Both are an act of love. When Jesus comes back to become, to fully establish himself and take full rule and reign here as the rulers of the kings of the earth, when he comes back to rule with a rod of iron, when he comes back to take over total control, it is an act of love. I say this uh, as an analogy of marriage because so often that's used throughout scriptures, sure. even our relationship with God. And if a man had a wife who left him and committed adultery, and then after a time, of... Oh, came back to her senses and came back and said, "I, you know, forgive me, I want to be back with you. And yet the man she was ad- having an adulterous affair with, who was very abusive to her, continued to follow her and abuse her. And they're both standing before the husband. And I said, should the husband show mercy or judgment? Sometimes the crowd will uh, shout judgment. I said, oh, so he should judge of his, uh, his wife who walked away. And they said, oh no, mercy. Oh, so he should show mercy to the man who's abusing her. In order <laughs> to receive his wife and fully restore her and deliver her from the consequences of her bad decision, he has to do judge, stop the mm-hmm. wicked man that's tormenting her.
0: Right. And the so only reason, the system. only way you can show mercy is if the other person admits they're wrong. That's you right. don't need mercy if you're not guilty as sin, do you? No, and
1: you this might. is where the confusion has come in in the body of Christ between grace and mercy.
0: Exactly. Have, have we been because, listening to each other, <laughs> <laughs> Steve? I think we've, we've been, been talking been the about these Holy things Spirit. for twenty-eight years on the air, and it's mm-hmm. almost as if it's all new to people. It's just amazing because we're in—we're just enveloped with uh, false concepts of Jesus and of God. And, uh, what it means to walk with the Lord in the light of his word, uh, all of these things just seem to be foreign. And, uh, we, we concoct ideas about Jesus. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we, we like to choose how Jesus responds to different people. So we have two different classes of people in one sense that Jesus responds to in the Bible. One is the poor and the, uh, Uh, the sinner, uh, the Zacchaeuses, the tax collectors of the world, uh, the wine-bibbers and sinners and so on, and he deals kindly and mercifully with them. But then he comes to deal with the religious leaders of his day who are supposed to be the kingpins of the kingdom of God, and he excoriates them ruthlessly. We don't like that, Jesus. Jesus. Why is it that we think we can pick and choose the Jesus that we want to serve?
1: Because we want we want the image of Jesus that no matter how I live, that we well, let me put it this way. We have conflated the concept of unconditional love with unconditional acceptance.
0: Mm-hmm. Well spoken, my brother. Well spoken. The love of Christ is unconditional, but the effect of that love is all the blessings are conditional, aren't they? Including salvation itself. Yeah, if you, then I.
1: Loves everyone, but he doesn't accept everything that we do at all. He demands we align with him.
0: Because he is to be Lord of all. And it has been said if he's not Lord of all, maybe he's not Lord
2: at all
1: throw another concept out here of the divine motivation mm-hmm. him who loved us and shed his blood because sin by its very nature and god reveals this throughout scripture separates us from god separates us from the divine life we were chosen by god before the foundation of the world we were chosen and created to be the bride of christ
0: those God's of us who created... will walk with him and endure yes. to the end right
1: God, yes, God, the Father, created mankind, unique above all creation. He created the human frame to have the capacity to house the fullness of the glory of God. This is stunning when you think about it. For we have been predestined by God to be conformed to his image, that the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory.
0: And that's a, God, that's a statement that is not made to individuals. It's made to a people. To a people. Yeah.
1: To the to, He created mankind for that purpose. Sin separated us from God. Sin, God the Father, uh, let me put it this way, God the Father created us for a divine purpose, mankind for a divine purpose, Mm -hmm. to be a bride that was worthy of his Son, Jesus.
0: All right, now the Scripture says that uh, uh, Christ is not coming for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. That's right. That means that if we're going to be prepared for his second coming... There's going to be a, a whole lot that's going to have to be done in the life of most professing Christians, isn't there?
1: Yeah, he has, there is a work of holiness. There is a work of the Spirit of God. You know, people sit there and say, well, as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to sin. My uh, first say, is, why are you in the flesh, number one? but two, <laughs> Tell me, oh. explain to me what physical death can do that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot do.
0: Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Jesus walked in as he uh, came down from the Mount of Olives uh, preparing for his crucifixion. The first place he went as he went up into Jerusalem was to the temple, and it says that he walked into the temple and began to overturn the tables of the money changers. And he made this declaration. It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, what kind of Jesus was this that went in there? Was this gentle Jesus sweet and mild? Who was he? How are we to understand that?
1: we understand, again, everything. He is trying to restore everything back to be reconciled to his Father in divine order.
0: And the under purpose, God's authority.
1: Under God's authority. So when he said, My house... The divine destiny of my house is to be a house of prayer. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture for all nations. My house is to be a place that's my people, are to be a place that's so connected in right relationship with my Father that even the world can come and receive mercy and love and answers to prayer from my Father. But your actions have made it a den of thieves. Now, this is fascinating. The word den there means a safe place. Your actions have made this a safe place for thieves to dwell. So I ask the question, who are the thieves, and what did they steal? We can look at the natural of the money changers, but Jesus was giving us the focus. What they were stealing was the spirit of prayer. They were closing up the open heaven. God said over and over again, if you sin, if you do these things, I will not hear you. I Mm -hmm. will not answer. So they were shutting down. What was supposed to be God's portal through which, uh, the, 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 where He would manifest Himself and pour His grace and mercy and love, and provision to people
0: because They're of the asked. holiness that was there and represented in that place.
1: That's right. So, well, how did they steal it? Who were the thieves? He's pointing back to Jeremiah chapter seven verse eleven. He says, "Well, this house which is called by My name has you made this house which called My name a den of thieves." Now, what he says right before that. He says, Behold, you trust in lying words. Folks, hear me carefully. He said, Behold, you trust in lying words. These are the thieves that rob the house of God from being the house of prayer. He said, Will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely? Will you burn incense to Baal and follow after other gods who you do not know and then come into this house? which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations.
0: This is utterly breathtaking that you're bringing this connection now. This is how the Bible is to be understood and studied. And, Steve, you have just brought a tremendous connection here. Let's apply it now. Remember, we cannot just talk about the information. We have to apply it today today. Here we have, you're in the Bible Belt right now in er- Oklahoma. I'm in the Bible Belt in Richmond, Virginia. For the last 25 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Did you know that? Oh, wow. 50%. No. 50% in the so-called Bible Belt. So what Jesus would have said is, look, You are claiming that you can divorce your spouses with impunity. You can go out and you can remarry, which I call adultery. You can embrace uh, the practice of homosexuality in your congregations, like the Pope just did. You can uh, can do all these things, and then you have the temerity or dare to come into my house and call it a house of worship? You've got to be kidding me. That's what Jesus really said, I think, if we applied it right here in our time. We'll be right back with this after the break. Steve Foss, Looking Unto Jesus.
2: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first-century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today, our special guest, Steve Foss, with his book, Looking Unto Jesus. Now, lest someone should think that what I just said was too harsh, let me suggest to you that the response that Jesus would make is the same response that he made to the woman caught in adultery. What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. That's what he said. He didn't for, he, he didn't uh, wrap her in his arms and say, oh, I I, I don't uh, condemn you for sinning. No, he said, go and sin no more. In other words, he admitted to her because she was dead bang guilty. Now, go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus would say in our churches today. To those who are defiling his temple, go and sin no more. In other words, confess your sin, repent, turn from it, And go and sin no more. That is the mercy of God demonstrated in the life and death of Jesus. Because without that, we have no hope. Right, Steve? Yeah. No hope.
1: The life, the death, and the resurrection.
0: Exactly. Okay. Now, uh, we've talked about uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. We've talked about uh, the authority of Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the words in the Scripture, particularly in the book of Revelation, and also in the Old Testament, is Jesus described as king. In the book of Philippians, we find that he's described as uh, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We hear the word king He's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. now let me ask you a question, Steve. Can a person be a king if those that purport to be his subjects refuse to obey him
2: <laughs>
1: the answer is obvious but absolutely not because the king it's the realm of influence upon which or the area arena where he exercises authority
0: yeah. Okay, so let's apply the scriptures now and see why the Bible says the things that it says and why we needed Jesus. If you cannot be a king and have subjects that obey you, and if the subjects together agree to disobey, what would you call that in our world terra firma here in our world, if the subjects of uh, the king refuse to obey him uh, collectively? What would you call that?
1: Well, I'm not sure where you're going at in the realm of a rebellion.
0: There you go. It's It's a rebellion, a conspiracy to rebel. And what is the penalty for treason? (laughs) It's death. That's exactly why the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But, and that's the wonder of it all, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the issue, as you said again, is authority. If we reject his authority, we are rejecting his salvation.
1: And the reason we're rejecting his salvation, we're rejecting life. Mm -hmm. God is, Jesus says in these 30 descriptions, I am he who is alive and was dead and am alive forever. I, the phrase there really is, I am life itself. I'm not just alive. I am life itself. Mm-hmm. If we're separated from Jesus, we're separated from God through rebellion, because rebellion always separates you from authority.
0: It always does. And rebellion is demonstrated by one four letter word, obey or disobey. Yes. If we diss what God has said in whole or in part, by definition, we're in rebellion against Jesus, aren't we?
1: Now someone absolutely. Now someone sits there and say, but, but isn't God nicer than that? Move that out of your, move that out of your mind. It's not even an issue of a God nicer or not. Life. All life comes from God. If you are eternally separated from life because you have rebelled while on your days in this earth and have failed to give Him the Lord, make Him the Lord of your life, repent of your sin, then there is nothing but death because there is nothing outside. There's nothing but death, eternal death, eternal damnation, eternal separation from everything that makes God God. It is not even, it's beyond an issue of even just what God would just choose. It is an absolute impossibility for you to have eternal life and be in rebellion to the one who is the source
0: of life. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man will come to the Father but by me, we need to put emphasis on the definite article, the And that's why the Associated Press tried to remove the word the from communication two weeks ago. The is one of the most essential words in the Bible, as is the word if. And when we remove that word, Jesus only becomes one of many ways, many truths, and many opportunities for life. And that's exactly what the Pope said openly two weeks ago.
1: Which Amazing. is absolutely—it's it's stunning because we think we're reaching people by removing them from the only answer there is. It isn't that there could be another way; it is impossible. God Himself, Jesus, is the fullness of God, the manifestation. He's He's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus is life Himself. He said, "It has been given unto me. The Father's given me that the Son to have life, the Son of Man to have life." He is life itself. If you're not connected to Him, you are disconnected from life. And
0: All right. Remember, now say it. Say it specifically for those who are listening today, who are saying, "You know, I, I'm kind of troubled by what I'm hearing now. I'm not sure whether I really am in Christ." What would you say to them?
1: I would say, "Listen to that voice." We spend far too time, much time in the church trying to convince people they're okay. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict you and draw you to God. Mm-hmm. And if you're truly born again, if you're truly born of God, the Bible says the Spirit will witness with your spirit that you are. But if you're not sure, if you're wondering, have I, I kind of I believe in God? I kind of go to church, but I I've never really experienced being connected to His divine life then I have a question for you. Have you ever truly made the choice and decision to repent, to turn from your own selfish ways and to say, Jesus, I give you total rightful authority over every part of my life, and I choose to trust that you are the source of life and that life itself died upon the cross to pay for my sin, to pay for my death, and was raised from the dead, I choose to believe in that. Pray that prayer. Make that commitment. It's a choice of your heart. And then the Bible says you will be born again. Even Billy Graham said many years ago, 80% of our churches on Sunday morning are filled with people that are not truly born again.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I think it's even more true today. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, right at the end of the book, Behold, I come quickly. Those are the words of Jesus. Behold, I come quickly. Now, you may not think he's been coming quickly, but remember, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, and we've already wrapped up 6,000 years, friends. Do you realize that? We're right at the end of the period of time where it was given man to work on earth we're now ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're now ready for Christ to come and return to take his true bride. Is that you? Are you sure that's you? Because he's coming quickly. And the trump of God is going to sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. And those who have... Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are walking with him as Lord and Savior. Not just made a a contract 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago, but who are walking with him. You see, you can enter the race. You can get in the starting blocks and take off, but if you don't finish the race, you didn't run the race. And we're to run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And, Steve, when he's coming back, in Revelation chapter 19, it says that he's coming back uh on a two-edged sword. He's not coming back meek and mild, riding on a donkey. He's coming back royally as king of kings, lord of lords, on a white horse. How do we understand this, this Jesus of the book of Revelation?
1: When you begin to behold him as the ruler of the kings of the earth, when you begin to behold him as the Son of Man, the Son of Man description is one of the most profound. Eighty-five times Jesus described himself as the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. Only seven times he described himself as the Son of God. The Son of Man is the one Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, riding on the clouds of heaven, which was an image of the end-time event we're speaking of. He came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and all the kingdoms of the earth were handed to him. And he came destroyed the power of the Antichrist system. And then the Bible says that it was given unto the saints. Jesus is then handing, he's joining us together with him to rule and reign with him for all of eternity.
0: It's amazing. He's
1: coming to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And I want the listeners to think about this for a moment. One of the descriptions is firstborn from among the dead. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back in his glorified, resurrected, human body. Fully human, yet fully divine, for all eternity. He is the firstborn that is like what we will be. The Bible says we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but we know when we see him, we shall be like him. This is one of the most... Stunning revelations in Scripture yeah. that Jesus, for all eternity, he didn't just take on a human form for 33 years and, and say, Whoo, I'm glad I'm done with that. He was resurrected in a human frame, a glorified human frame, a human frame fully cap- capable of housing the fullness of God. It is a great mystery. We don't fully understand it. But he's coming back as the Son of Man. It's why the Bible uses that phrase. As the Son of Man. Well, it's interesting
0: we, because the scripture says that Jesus was the mediator of the new covenant. Yeah. And uh, then the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that if we refuse Him, it says, See that you refuse not Him that speaks. For if they escaped not who refused Him that spoke on earth from Mount Sinai, how much more shall they not escape if we turn away from Him that speaks from heaven? whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. This is Jesus, friends. It goes on to say that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. We know about all this shaking going on. Just look at Turkey. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God, acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our god jesus is a consuming fire that's an amazing when focus, statement
1: when we focus on him as the ruler of the kings of the earth as the firstborn from the dead as the eyes full of fire as as the one to come as the uh, as developing a kingdom of priests as we see him as the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, as Mm -hmm. we look to him and we focus on his, the kingdom that he's establishing, it will give us strength to endure. Because the Bible says, he that endures till the end shall
0: be saved wonderful conclusion thank you so much i feel like uh we've been a couple of brothers hearing from the holy spirit uh tying the word of god together it's just a wonderful thing steve thank you so much for joining us uh give that offer again how people could get your book so uh, graciously
1: stevefoss.com and put in discount code america and receive 20 percent off uh
2: your entire order
0: unbelievable Thank you so much, friends, and become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Go to the website saveus.org. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. If you can't see that today, I'm not sure what it would take. God bless and look unto Jesus.